This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Hello and welcome to the Walk podcast. My name's Anna Hamill, senior editor for Brands at Walk. Today we're talking about the cost of living crisis and how brands can stay relevant to consumers in these difficult economic times. Before we get stuck into the issues at hand, let's look at the backdrop of today's discussion. Inflation is now at the highest levels seen in decades across many key markets, and this is driving prices considerably higher. Many brands are finding themselves sandwiched between soaring supply chain costs on one side with growing pressure to avoid passing on those price increases to overstretched shoppers on the other. Finding that delicate balance in the current economic climate is far from easy, and there are no silver bullets. But by far the most badly affected by the cost of living crisis are consumers, especially those in the lower income brackets. For the most part, wages and salaries simply aren't keeping up with costs at the moment. Consumers are already changing their purchasing behaviours and efforts to make ends meet, but too often that means tough decisions about which essentials to prioritise or, in worst case scenarios, even going without. Inflation is a complicated issue with many moving parts, which impact different groups of consumers in different ways. But the decisions that brands make now in response to the cost of living crisis will affect real people in a myriad of ways, both in the short term and in the future. So against this challenging backdrop, what is the key information that marketers need to know and how can they respond? Joining me today to discuss the way forward are two experts, both of whom recently contributed fantastic articles on Walk tackling these very topics. They are Ananda Roy, Senior Vice President for Strategic Growth Insights at market research company IRI, and Louise Martel, Chief Strategy Officer at Yonder Media. Welcome both, and thank you so much for joining. Let's get into it. Ananda, in your article, you use the words imperfect inflation to describe the uniqueness of the current situation compared to others. Why did you choose that phrase, and what makes the current situation different? This inflationary event is an unprecedented convergence of both demand and supply-side factors. Typically in an inflationary event, consumer demand begins to taper off, and manufacturers have a range of strategic levers they can pull to mitigate that effect. But with the significant supply-side problems that we're seeing, that impaired ability for brand owners and retailers to respond makes this particular event particularly difficult. Now, this is not a temporary blip. It's not even transient. The effect is going to last several years. And this is why comparisons to 2008, which was the past uh, significant event, are also unhelpful. So it is an imperfect inflation in, in every sense. Now, if you add on the fact that there is continuing uncertainty over the war, potentially new COVID measures over the uh, autumn and winter, you can see why um, this particular event is likely to be a once-in-a-generation challenge for many of us in, in the business. Louise, your article on marketing messaging in a cost-of-living crisis is from the perspectives of audience engagement, but also acknowledges the disparity of those affected by the crisis. How do brands remain sensitive and relevant within the current context? 
Yes, that's right. I mean, it's I mean, it's always important to think audience first, right? Uh, we know that, but I guess right now it's never been more crucial to understand the perspective um, of your audiences and your you know, your customers you know, in some depth. Remember, none of this is happening in isolation. We've been living in crisis for two years already. Um, a continuing period of, sort of extreme uncertainty and hardships will be breeding fear, distress, or even at the very least, a sense of, sort of crisis fatigue. So really, there doesn't seem to be, as Ananda said, there's not really a clear end in sight. So, you know, as with the pandemic, it's affecting everyone. Um, we can see only 2% of adults say they're not worried at all about this crisis. Um, that's from YouGov. And we've seen a shift of the very worried grow from 28% back in February when we wrote the article to 41% on the last survey uh, findings. So, you know, also, as in the case of the pandemic, yet again, to use a cliche, uh, it's maybe the same storm, but, you know, we are all in very different boats. Um, and also kind of what a juxtaposition. Remember, this should have been the summer of the great release of pent up demand, doing all those things we've missed out on holidays, visiting family overseas, festivals, parties, going away to unis for the first time, endless lists, basically, of pivotal life moments missed. So, you know, we will, of course, do a lot of this, but people are going to have to make tough choices. So while some will be keen to do whatever it takes, for example, to perhaps ring fence their holiday budget, others may well have to completely forego a well-needed day out with their kids and their family. And of course, you know, there's going to be in excess of a million people predicted to fall into poverty. Choices for some will be much, much starker. So I think to, to answer the question, it's no surprise to say that empathy is everything here. Um, going beyond to understand what your audiences are experiencing, how they're experiencing the category that your brand operates in. Um, we know it's incredibly easy for brands to be tone deaf or to miss the mark. So there's some questions that we're asking um, here at Yonder Media. So who who are you talking to? Sounds simple, but really, you know, who are you talking to? What's going on for them? Does targeting need to change or diversify? Uh, can a more personalised one-to-one comms via CRM be a more appropriate way to offer help or advice to customers? Um, for ATL campaigns, review your work. You know, is the messaging still appropriate? Um, you know, we saw a lot of very tailored messaging in the early months of the pandemic, not all of it great, but it is wise to take fresh eyes to messaging. You know, can you be more assuring? Is it about more information or, you know, is it helpful communications? Do you need to bolster the sort of trust cues? Um, it's not necessarily about creating new paid media campaigns. It could be emphasising protections for, for consumers or approval ratings and testimonials. So, of course, you know, not just where you show up, but how you show up too. Ananda, there are well-recognised behaviours around inflation, such as consumers buying a smaller portion or pack, buying value packs or looking for price reductions when they're out shopping. What are some of those behaviours or expectations emerging right now that marketers need to understand? There is a tendency to oversimplify shopping behaviours during a cost-of-living crisis when we talk about it in terms of downtrading. Our global survey in 12 of the largest economies has shown that there are a whole range of behaviors that marketeers can use to create new promotions or product propositions or even innovate. Let me give you a few examples. We're seeing consumers scheduling their purchases a great deal more. So they're buying less, but more often. And this is because they're taking advantage of high low promotions 
at a time when everyday low prices are not guaranteed. We know consumers are buying in new channels, whether it's online or in clubs or in discounters. We're seeing increasingly the consumption uh, moving to a new space, you know, so at-home consumption has grown. Now, this is because consumers are trading off um, consuming in hospitality, as an example, and they're doing more of that at home. Chances are, when they do so, uh, let, let's use an example of coffee. If they're, they're going fewer times to a, to a, to a cafe or a, a coffee chain, and they're now increasing the consumption at home, chances are that they're not going to drink bog-standard instant coffee. They're going to look for that premium coffee experience. So this is, again, an opportunity to to try and create that sensorial and that premium experience at home and therefore ideas around, you know, adding that sensoriality as an example, um, become super important. We are seeing consumers change the amount of um, a particular product they, they may use. They may find that less is needed to do the job. Or indeed, manufacturers occasionally cue to those consumers that, you know, you could waste less uh, because a particular premium product um, requires, you know, gives you more washes, as an example, or allows you to um, use less to get the job done. So, again, there are about 12 different behaviors that we've identified, um, and therefore a very, very rich opportunity to, to reactivate uh, consumer relationships. The trend pre-pandemic was for brand purpose-driven marketing, and COVID, I think, really brought that into sharp focus. As the pandemic now wanes, do consumers have different expectations for how brands should engage with them in difficult times? Ananda, what do you think? I think consumers are acutely aware of the brands that did the right thing during the crisis. I mean, this was a time when they were particularly vulnerable. The world was very uncertain and chaotic. And some brands, during the midst of that chaos, were authentic and transparent and did not patronize them or indeed exploit their fears. Um, there were some brands, regrettably, that were quick to protect shareholder interest, uh, as an example, by furloughing a large number of their employees uh, or letting them go. Um, at a time when alternative employment was very hard to find. In contrast, other brands, including some brands that had quite poor customer service, did the opposite. They kept on their staff and battled through this very difficult time. Now, consumers see this and make choices about who they wish to continue to give their business to uh, as things progress and indeed as things get better. So brands should continue to do the right thing. It really is so important that uh, fairness, sustainability, and all of those values that brands embody when times are good continue um, when, when, when we go through these difficult periods. I think fundamentally it comes down to this. Is it possible to balance commercial interests with conscience and doing the right thing? And 
they don't need to be exclusive. Indeed, they are not exclusive. I think the true test of a brand strategy is when it finds that delicate balance between the two. And that's what consumers increasingly uh, expect. Louise, what do you think? So I'd echo um, what Ananda said, but you know, we know audiences are watching. They're informed and empowered like never before. Increasingly, it's not what you say, it's what you do that counts. You know, everything is media, everything is communication. Um, although a counterpoint here um, will be, do they really care about values and ethics when it comes to saving money? Um, we know there's a say do gap, right? As as humans, you know what we what we uh, what we do may betray what we say publicly, um, particularly. But I guess my argument would be it's about how you're positioning yourself for recovery, um, both in the sort of medium term and the longer term as well. So um, environmental, social, and governance standards will be table stakes for brands. Things that seemingly don't impact buyer behaviour now could be the things that set you ahead of the competition. So it's just worth remembering, I think, that it's not about necessarily driving a short-term sales uplift or impact. Yeah, I mean, this is really about challenging that myth that good commerce needs to be exclusive of having a clear conscience. I mean, of course, leaders will focus on growth, protecting margin, mitigating the losses, etc. But we also need to do the right thing. And brands need to focus their time and efforts and indeed their resources singularly to help consumers meet this um, cost of living crisis. And the two don't need to be exclusive. Louise, what's your view on that? I mean, again, I think Ananda's said it perfectly, but I mean, purpose shouldn't be or definitely shouldn't start with marketing, I don't believe. I think it's a behaviour, practices that start with the employer brand with how you treat your customers before coming anywhere near the marketing brief. Fantastic. Let's get on to our next question now. And I want to start with you, Louise, because it's been a tremendously difficult um, two years for brands dealing with COVID. And we've already spoken about that. And now they're facing these huge challenges in supply chains and with inflation. How can they reset for growth in 2022? Sure. Yeah. I mean, an incredibly hard time for businesses as well as as uh, audiences. I think people can have some sympathy with that too, to some extent, their employees and business owners and business leaders too. So um, two things I'd highlight in response to this question. So firstly, we will see that businesses that have and continue to consistently invest in their brands will, will always be best placed to weather economic storms and tough times um we've seen that time and again you know and that's not just about above the line investment it's those brands that know and understand their audiences well value and respect their customers and have clear core values that they can use to help make decisions and deploy against i think tesco have done this brilliantly um throughout uh throughout the pandemic and indeed recently um with tesco mobile um already kind of out there um as you know in messaging um above the line I guess, you know, as Graham Staplehurst from Cantar wrote in his Walk article, brands cannot promote their way out of trouble without eroding their value and undermining their capacity for future growth. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's really true. A secondly, and secondly, a sort of useful audience first lens um, might be kind of about getting back to basics of what's really important. I think that's how audiences will be thinking. You know, what do I really need and kind of what's in my gift to control? So, for example, you know, I can't do much about energy or the cost of filling up my car, but I can take action to slash my grocery bill or reduce the number of entertainment subscriptions I have. Um, Or how can I still realise some of the things I want to do for less? Um, 
you know, and as we've just been talking about, how can, can I, how can brands still help me shop ethically and sustainably and, and, and to my values? Um, you know, really important for younger audiences, but not exclusively. Um, I think, you know, that, that sort of bears across many audiences. So I think that could manifest in a desire to support more small and local businesses, something that we did see during the pandemic. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's a, a huge shift, and um, but I think it's an important one um, for big and small brands alike. Uh, a desire for fewer, more natural, locally sourced ingredients, um, a desire to see more innovation in the way that we approach packaging. And I know from talking to Ananda that that's something that's hugely impacted um, by the dynamics at play um, on the geopolitical scene at the moment. Um, you know, perhaps even a make, do and mend sort of uh, frame of mind. So I think Uniqlo are doing something genius, I think, which is a new repair studio where you can mend, embellish, upcycle, really leaning into those sort of consumer and audience trends. You know, fashion brands using dead stock and scraps, um, the increasing use of resale brands like Depop, um, hugely emergent for the whole fashion sector. So those things, I think, you know, we'll see we'll see more of. Um for brands, you know, in their messaging, perhaps dialing down some of those very high aspiration cues and dialing up family, friends, home centricity, experiences over acquisition. Um, there was a very nice example from Bloom and Wild on Mother's Day, which was a lovely print ad where, you know, kids could colour it in and, and give to their mum, you know, with the idea being, you know, it's about the sort of small, meaningful gestures. And I think that's that sort of nails it for me. Um a criticism could be like, how does this scale? Um, these things seem really small, um, but I think that underestimates the power both of audiences and how they talk to each other, and how you know through the digital and social landscape um, things can spread and indeed scale as well. Not everything has to be physical, so I think you know there's some um, incredibly uh, you know potential for brands to get back to basics, um, but equally be innovative into that space as well. You mentioned there the importance of brand equity and getting back to basics and those foundational parts of marketing that are really important. Would you say that brands should still be investing in their brand here for the long term? I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, received wisdom on you've got to keep investing, you know, to keep your brand strong. And I think that's that's almost oversimplifying, right? Brands have got to, brands and businesses need to make difficult choices at the moment too. So it isn't just about, okay, how do we keep investing in the latest big ad campaign um, and, and kind of huge amounts of media investment? I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is you know empathy for your audiences and your customers, really understanding what's going on for them and making sure that you're kind of delivering to your brand values managing your equity, talking to your customers and audiences in the right way, um, particularly during this time of uh, a sort of a choppy waters. I have a question now about the long-term future of this, because all of the economic indicators uh, out there at the moment indicate that the high cost of living is not going to be resolved in the next nine to 12 months. Uh, given these supply chain problems we've discussed and also the war in Ukraine, how can brands make the right marketing decisions in the longer term, and we've just discussed this a little bit, but to balance that growth with the sensitivity to the financial hardships consumers are facing? Ananda, what do you think? I think one of the problems we have at the moment is that very robust demand planning and demand forecasting processes and tools that a number of large manufacturers and retailers use are simply not able to predict demand accurately. And this is because of the very, very dynamic nature of the market. 
In that kind of a situation, we are seeing a lot of very tactical activity that both brands and retailers are putting into the market. Now, that's not a, that's not a bad thing, you know, because as I've said in the past, you don't bring a wallet to a knife fight. What I mean is just because you have a big budget or a big brand doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win the war uh, that we're currently facing. So yes, there is a role for somewhat woolly tactical decisions to be taken because ultimately it's execution that is going to be very, very much a predictor of success in some categories, perhaps even more than, than strategy. But to the larger point, the right marketing decisions are going to be supported by perhaps different predictive analytics than we use in peacetime. If your performance dashboard, if the key KPIs that you're looking, looking at every day hasn't been adjusted for the current turmoil, I would suggest that there is a mixed opportunity. There are predictive KPIs that brand manufacturers can use to stay agile and make decisions on the fly. So yes, there is a role for tactical behavior, but there is also the opportunity to adjust the way you run your business to be on the right side of fast moving changes. That's a really fantastic point. Uh, Louise, what's your view? I mean, I think changes in our in circumstances uh, means changes in, in, in what we do and how we spend our money. You know, this state of flux and re-evaluation could favour brands. Um, as and Andrew has pointed out, and analysing new behaviours and being prepared to pivot, you know, I'm definitely going to be digging into some of his insights, particularly around scheduling and the way shoppers are scheduling and things like that. You know, there's sort of really good examples of, of change um, over the, the last couple of years. For example, the QSR sector getting into home delivery services very quickly, restaurants creating in-home dining experience, um, and potentially that sort of likely fast-tracked the emergence of brands like Getir and Grilla, um, you know, being kind of um, everybody wanting things to be home delivered. And and I know we can't view the 2008 recession as, as like for like with now, I think where we saw the growth of Aldi and Lidl showed us that discounting doesn't mean low quality anymore. And I think that we learned over that period to be savvy shoppers. And, you know, I wonder as well, sort of throwing it out there, that perhaps this is the driver of today's review culture as well. It made us all kind of really smart, connected, um, discerning buyers. Um, and I guess that while there's a lot of, you know, new normal is the old normal actually, and I do agree with some of that in the main. Um, again, I think there will be things that have shifted. Um, and mostly, I think, you know, currently being born out of hybrid working, for example, connecting us more lo closely with local, you know, new patterns of commuting, new patterns of entertaining, you know, home cooking at different times of the day, kind of lots of different types of shopping behaviour. I guess sort of back to marketing decisions, though, I think, you know, these times are perhaps times for bravery and innovative approaches to kind of new and, and actually old problems too. So an eye on those changing behaviours and where they could go and how brands can adapt. I mean, I think that's, you know, I don't want to say exciting. I don't think that's the right terminology for the mood, um, but I do think it is, it is interesting times.
some really good advice there. I want to jump back to you, Ananda, because your article offers some really helpful advice on characteristics of brands which have remained relevant despite uh, tough economic times. So tell us a little bit about what those characteristics are. We've just completed a study of 40 high-performance brands uh, that have mitigated inflation events in the past, and we found some really interesting counterintuitive measures that they took. The first one is rather than looking at it as a crisis and being defensive, they looked at inflation as an opportunity. In peacetime, we spend millions of pounds in marketing to try and get consumers to consider purchasing our category and certainly purchasing our brands. But in this current environment, consumers are actively deciding whether they want to continue to consume a particular category and reassessing their loyalty to a particular brand. So in, indeed, inflation is an opportunity rather than something to, to, to shrink from. We've seen brands counterintuitively reduce innovations or in some cases phase innovations because ultimately innovations cost money. They use that money instead to fund trade promotions and pricing. In some cases, they have continued to innovate, but they have timed the launch of that innovation to when the green shoots of recovery begin to show. We've seen brands use the entire marketing toolbox, so going beyond brand management, promotions, and resource allocation, to looking at levers like portfolio optimization, uh, pricing and revenue management, and so on. So yes, they did act in the short term, but they also stay coherent to the long-term vision. A great example of that is sustainability. There is a tendency to think about sustainability as a cost item, and perhaps it being less relevant at this time, when in reality, for a large number of uh, perhaps younger cohorts, Sustainability has become normalized. It's, it's a part of their ethos. And they're not going to jettison an ethos just because there is a cost of living crisis. So, for example, no compromise on quality and trust, but also no compromise on sustainability is something that a number of these uh, high-performance brands um, were committed to. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they revisited their demand forecasting process uh, they focused on predictive KPIs. And all of these measures taken together have um, set them apart from the other brands in their category. Louise, throughout times of economic hardship in the past, we've seen consumers increase emphasis on those small indulgences, those affordable little luxuries, famously known uh, as the lipstick effect. We've heard that term before. Is that still relevant today? And if so, how can brands make the most of it? Oh, the lipstick effect, that was such a, a well-used term, wasn't it, post the 2008 recession? And, you know, perhaps perhaps the phrase is a little out of date, but the sentiment remains um, relevant, I think. The, the theory being that in times of economic hardship, we still need to treat ourselves and we'll find appropriate lower-cost ways to do this. So I think this stuff is really important, actually. Keeping the head and the heart happy in challenging times is something in a way in which brands can really play a role. So m and Obviously, the masters, they nailed it um, way back with their two for a tenner dining in deal. And that sort of still stands up to date. Creating joy or luxury in the everyday is a, a place in which um, you know brands can, can step up, um, whether that's creating some added value. So in the coming months, I think 
particularly perhaps across the summer in terms of experiences, for example, um, days out, cinema tickets, you know, ways of, you know, good, good methods for, for adding value to a brand with a partnership um, or elevating in-home experiences. And I had to talk to that a little bit earlier, but making those feel more indulgent, you know, surprising and delighting. Ultimately, reasons for people to choose your brand over another Let's talk a little bit about the importance of bravery and leadership for marketing teams during this time. Ananda, what do you think? When times are good, a number of category leaders are able to keep the trains running on time and deliver share and volume. But it's in moments of crisis that we see the real role for bravery. I love that word that Louise used. Let me give you an example. There is a lot of discussion around the need to innovate to justify a premium. But the reality is innovation costs money and innovation really hinges on visibility, promotion and uh, optimal pricing. At a time when you have shortages of ingredients and supply side challenges, you would rather focus on the availability of your base range than innovate around the periphery. So a true category leader addresses issues like this. Do I really need innovation? Will it really drive incremental sales? Or do I need to just continue excellent availability? Another example is promotions. Yes, you could use the promotional lever and make that investment to try and mitigate the impacts of rising prices. But once again, if there is not enough product, if you are not able to maintain stock levels, you could argue that your ability to deliver promotions, both in terms of frequency and depth, is fundamentally constrained. Is this not the opportunity to deepen your relationship with retailers and identify a new price threshold for everyday low pricing. So these are the hard decisions that a brave category leader needs to take. Louise, what does brand bravery look like to you in this moment, in this specific crisis? It's a great question. I think I would go back to the conversation we were having around empathy, audience understanding, listening to your customers, and perhaps being able to prioritise customers over profit um, and and kind of take an innovative approach to things that perhaps you wouldn't expect uh, a business to do when they're under sort of all sides of economic pressure. Fantastic. Some really good food for thought there. But that is all we have time for today. So thank you so much to our expert panellists. You can read their fantastic articles and plenty more content on how brands can tackle the cost of living crisis on walk.com right now. Thank you so much for joining.